It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tonight on The Readout. Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I'm a silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Lot of mercy. His own son tells Herschel Walker to stop the lies after new allegations suggest serious hypocrisy on abortion and reveal the scam of the Christian rights family values brand. Also tonight, Trump once called the three justices he picked my justices. Now he needs a favor from them. Today, he asked the Supreme Court to intervene on his purloined classified documents. And I have two very special guests tonight. Former Attorney General Eric Holder joins me as the Supreme Court hears a case with major implications for what's left of the Voting Rights Act. And John Fetterman on his race for United States Senate in Pennsylvania. It is getting tighter and could decide which party wins control. We begin tonight with family values, as exemplified by perhaps the most iconic family in American sitcom history. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring the entire Nelson family. Here's Ozzie. Here's Harriet. Here's David. And here's Ricky. Here they are, America's favorite family, the Nelsons. Ah, yes, that's right. Ozzie and Harriet, the perfect example of post-World War II middle-class family values. Except it was kind of phony. The real-life version of TV's favorite family, the Nelsons, was far from rosy. And the types of 1950s white housewives represented by Harriet, a lot of them were pretty miserable. Just ask Betty Friedan. Fast forward to the 1980s and 90s, and the concept of family values got weaponized as a catch-all to opposition to all that dirty social progress from the civil rights movement and women's liberation and used as a cudgel against Democrats. Look no further than former President Ronald Reagan at the 1992 Republican convention. Over and over, they told us they are not the party they were. They kept telling us with straight face that they're for family values. They're for a strong America. They're for less intrusive government. And they call me an actor. Yeah, except Ronald Reagan himself wasn't exactly some virtuous Christian warrior. But that's never really been the case in the Republican Party. And that commitment to family values, you know, it appears to be a bit sketch, despite the modern-day MAGA Republicans routinely touting their bona fides. God uses the foolish to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong, right? That's his story. And he uses people like you and me to change history. We're going to take this state by storm. We're going to restore freedom and liberty. God told me it would be a sign and a wonder to the unbeliever. And let me tell you, we had no money, no name recognition, 
and we won by 10 points. I am a professional rhino hunter. When I said that I'm a Christian nationalist, I have nothing to be ashamed of, and that will make America great again when we lean into biblical principles. That would be the Christian nationalist Doug Mastriano, who's been subpoenaed by the House January 6th committee, and Lauren Boebert, who's accused the left of grooming children, never mind the fact that her own husband did jail time for public indecency after exposing his uh, Willy Wonka to a teenager. And her partner in cruelty, Marjorie Taylor Greene, does she get to keep all three names whose biblical principles include anti-Semitic conspiracies about space lasers and Islamophobic attacks on her colleagues? That's in addition to Greene's current divorce after multiple allegations of affairs family values. And of course, there is also their false idol, the former president, whose campaign many assumed would be done and dusted after video of him proclaiming he could just grab women by the, you know what, was released, only for him to get 80 percent of the white evangelical vote in 2016. I mean, what's clear is that these Christian family values are, well, they're really more a branding exercise than reality. Republicans definitely care about opposing gay and especially trans people living their lives openly, clearly. And they clearly care about people presenting heteronormative marriage. A couple of divorces and cheating aside. When it comes to abortion, well, well, you've probably heard about the latest news about Donald Trump's hand-picked Republican candidate for Georgia Senator Herschel Walker, who talked up his anti-abortion absolutist position earlier this year. Well, there's not a national ban on abortion right now, and I think that's a problem. We uh, keep talking about things like that. Right now, I'm for life. In fact, Herschel supports an abortion ban with no exceptions, not rape, not incest, not health of the mother. But there allegedly was a Herschel exception. A stunning report in the Daily Beast alleges Walker urged a woman he dated in 2009 who asked to remain anonymous for privacy concerns to get an abortion, which she did. And she also claims he paid for it. NBC News has not independently verified the report. But the Daily Beast corroborated details of the woman's claims with a close friend. They also got receipts in the form of a get whale soon card signed by Walker. For his part, Herschel has threatened to sue the Daily Beast, although he hasn't yet, and he denies the allegation. I send out so many get well, uh, send out so much of anything, but I can tell you right now, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion, and it's a lie. What about the $700 check? Is there anybody you can remember sending that much money to? Well, I send money to a lot of people, and that's what's so funny. I have $700. Uh, but his own son appears to believe it. Christian Walker has blasted his father in a series of tweets and videos. I'm just saying I'm done with the lies. We were told at the beginning of this, he was going to get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things. And that would have been fine. Go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie. Everything's been downplayed. Among the elements of his father's past that Christian corroborated, his father's alleged violent behavior towards his mother, Herschel Walker's ex-wife, and multiple children he fathered out of wedlock while lecturing about black absentee fathers. Perhaps not surprisingly, as for the party, they are standing by Walker, at least for now. Not that they have much of a choice. A, a super PAC aligned with Republican leader Mitch McConnell will not be pulling support. They are full speed ahead in Georgia, and so is the Republican Senate campaign arm. In a statement, NRSC chair Rick Scott said, this is just like the smears they attempted against Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas and it did, will not work. 
Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and contributor to the Los Angeles Times and USA Today, and Anthea Butler, chair of the Religious Studies Department at the University of Pennsylvania, MSNBC columnist and author of White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. Very convenient that we have that, um, that the author of that book here. But I'm going to start with you, Kurt, because, you know, I'm not sure that Republicans always see their brand clearly because Rick Scott, who we will remember was associated with record Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicare fraud and TRICARE fraud and Medicaid fraud, but who still got managed to get elected governor and then United States senator. He quotes Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas, two people who are credibly accused sex offenders. Herschel Walker ain't accused of that. <laughs> I'm not sure associating him with Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas was like a good branding move. What is going on here? I mean, if that's your alibi, I, I yeah. think you're you're treading some deep water there. But this is the thing about the Republican Party. I shouldn't say sex offenders. I should say sex pests. Alleged. There we go. Alleged. Alleged. Right, right. Well, listen, this is the do as I say, not as I do party. They're all about saying no one should have abortion. Well, except, of course, if the father needs one, then, well, yeah. we're willing to look the other way. and We're willing to still fundraise for you. They say that they hate big government, except they love government telling you what you can or cannot do with your body. They hate socialism. But they're all of a sudden going to be asking the federal government for billions and billions of dollars to help rebuild Florida. They voted against rebuilding certain other states that were hit by hurricanes and storms. But now they want that for themselves. Everything the Republican Party is about is just do as I say, not as I do. Family values is just a slogan to them. It's branding. It doesn't mean anything. And we know that because the guy that they've lined up behind, the person that they've been willing to burn democracy down for, had an affair with a porn star. Well, his wife was pregnant with their son. Right. That's family values in the Republican Party. And I mean, the thing is, Anthea, I mean, as somebody who grew up in the church, it is it is fascinating to watch the way that the that the idolatry around Trump has grown up. I mean, literally at one of the CPACs, people fell down in front of a golden statue of Donald Trump without any sense of irony that this looks like something out of the Old Testament. The the, the evangelical, particularly white evangelicals, are his base. They're also the QAnon base. And there is this rapid move toward turning MAGA into a religion. What do you make of that? Because to me, I don't think there is a single evangelical Georgia voter that's going to change their mind because Herschel Walker had, you know, paid for an abortion. I don't think they care. No, they don't care. And I need to tell you that they're not going to care and that they'll still vote for Herschel Walker because basically today there was a prayer warriors for Herschel Walker that met at a large Baptist church formerly pastored by Charles Stanley, and they prayed for him today, and they prayed against the enemy trying to get at him. So what you need to understand is this. I think I need to make this very clear. Morality has been a shield for the Republican Party and for evangelicals a very long time. Evangelicals don't believe in this morality for anybody else. We can think back to people like Ted Haggard and others, where forgiveness is always given for men. Women are put out to pasture. Women cannot be in the pulpit or anything else anymore. But if a man does something, Oh, it's okay. You can get prayer. You can repent and you can move on. That is their theological stance. They believe that it is okay for everything that they do, but it's not okay for everyone else to do it. And well, if they're a a Republican man, because look, they're going after Warnock, who's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist. He's pastor of Dr. King's church in Atlanta. He's divorced and they've gone after him. But let me play the ad that Reverend Warnock has been running about um, Herschel Walker. And this is actually before the whole latest scandal broke. 
There's one issue where Herschel Walker actually has made his position clear. Mr. Walker, do you support any exceptions to abortion bans? Do I report any? Yeah, any exceptions to abortion bans? Not right now, don't. Walker's for banning abortion, even in cases of rape, incest, or to protect the mother's life. And Herschel Walker wants to go even further. There's not a national ban on abortion right now, and I think that's a problem. Should Herschel Walker really be representing Georgia? So we know that this will not change the base vote against Walker. We know that his, he's locked in. He can get 46 percent. You know, somebody said Satan himself could get 46 percent if he ran as a Republican. No matter, right? But there are, just as a campaign matter, Kurt, since you've worked in this space, um, is this an issue because Roe is such a big deal to so many women and the idea of losing their bodily autonomy is so— the idea that this guy could and very much would vote for a national abortion ban, we know that's how we'd vote— is that going to be enough to sway enough sort of middle-of-the-road voters who are not hardcore MAGA? I actually think it is because we've seen in polling, recent polling, that the national ban on abortion incites people even more than the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade did. And, that, and this is typical Republicans. This is the overreaching that they always do. It's like they, they caught, they caught the, the, the dog that caught the car, but now they want to go even further. And what we saw, we saw this in Kansas. We saw it in Alaska. We saw it in New York. Every election that we've had since Roe was overturned, we've seen robust Democrat turnout exceeding expectations, exceeding all the polling. And that tells us, that is a roadmap to tell us that what we can expect in November if we keep playing this playbook is more turnout, things yeah. that will not show up in the polls. The prognosticators won't be able to forecast it. And I think you're going to see a massive turnout surge because Republicans can't stop talking about wanting to take away women's rights in America. Yeah, yeah. and in some states, they're even talking about going after um, birth control, too. And, and Thea, I think the other thing is that we've known that over in the past, you know, there's been a lot of activism inside of the church, inside of black and, and Hispanic churches and Latino churches. Um is this an issue? Because I know a lot of people who are, they're against abortion and they are evangelical. They're non-white, non-white evangelicals, but they are dead set against the idea of the government essentially owning the female body. So there, this is activating, I think, even Christian voters who are not MAGA Christians, but just regular Christian voters. Do you think that there's been enough to try to activate those voters? Um, I think there could be more. I'm actually disappointed right now in the black church across the country because I haven't seen the kind of mobilization that we're used to seeing. But I do think that there are a number of Christian voters right now who are disgusted with the hypocrisy of evangelicals right now in the Republican Party and are willing to vote for women's rights because they know that this is the right thing and that this is a matter of personal choice. It is not a matter to be legislated by the state or local or national government. And I think that's where we will see a very big difference in the polls, hopefully in November. Yeah. I mean, it's not even about people's individual beliefs about abortion. It's literally whether or not you believe the state should control a woman's body and whether or not people should be arrested for getting health care. Because, you know, the people who get arrested are going to look like this panel. Folks <laughs> <laughs> exactly. need to know that if you're voting. Uh, thank you very much, Kurt Bardella and Thea Butler. Thank you both. Up next on The Readout, Trump asked the Supreme Court to do him a favor. And with this court, you know what? Maybe they will. <laughs> the Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. 
And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. It now may be up to the Supreme Court to determine the path forward over the Justice Department's investigation of the classified documents seized during an FBI search of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Today, Trump's lawyers filed an emergency request, a last-ditch effort, to overturn the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals' recent ruling, allowing the DOJ access to those documents rather than having to go through a special master first. Now, remember, at the center of the DOJ's investigation is whether Trump intentionally withheld documents from being returned to the National archives and attempted to cover up his deception, in other words, causing obstruction. The Washington Post has previously reported that Trump had overseen the packing process himself of the initial 15 boxes returned to the archives in January with, quote, great secrecy, declining to show some items even to top aides. A new reporting from the Post appears to show the latter, that at the time, Trump asked one of his lawyers to tell archives officials that he had turned over all the requested material. That lawyer, Alex Cannon, refused Trump's request because he was not sure if other documents were still at the club and would be uncomfortable making such a claim, according to people familiar with the matter. That was a good call by Cannon. The New York Times adds that months earlier, Cannon had warned Trump that if he didn't return all the materials, the matter could result in a criminal referral. Cannon is two for two. It's the same warning another former White House lawyer, Eric Hirschman, made to Trump around the same time. And joining me now is Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney and professor at the University of Michigan Law School and friend of the show. And Barbara, I guess my, my sort of basic question, knowing that Clarence Thomas is the one who gets to make the initial decision at the Supreme Court because he oversees this circuit of whether or not they take the case, that makes me assume that He's just going to rule in Trump's favor. Are we, you know, is a Supreme Court affirmation of a former president stealing classified documents and stealing government documents, is that what we need to brace ourselves for? Well, it, you, your uh, thoughts are very understandable, Joy, because the court has created its own crisis of legitimacy, especially Clarence Thomas, who, you know, ruled, uh, voted against allowing the National Archives to get White House documents, uh, has said that, you know, he thinks all the substantive due, due process cases ought to be overturned. He really has uh, demonstrated that uh, he is not someone who follows the law as we would expect one to. But I, I am hopeful that even Clarence Thomas here will realize that it's just such an absurd argument that the government would not get to retain possession of documents marked classified. By definition, if they are marked classified, even if they were at one point declassified, it means that some agency in the intelligence community created that document. It is therefore a government document. And there is no way this is a personal document over which Donald Trump has any sort of claim to privilege or possession. And so for that reason, I'd be very surprised uh, but, of course, I was surprised to see Judge Cannon issue that order in the first instance uh, regarding the special master. So uh, it, it may be that we're surprised. But but legally, it is a very, very weak argument that the government should not be able to get these documents back without but the it, special it, masters say so. 
Yeah, I, let, let me read just a little bit. This is an emergency filing. This is part of what it says. It simply cannot be an abuse of discretion of the district court to refer these matters to a special master to determine whether documents bearing classification markings are in fact classified and regardless of classification, whether these records are personal records or presidential records. Uh, Trump, uh, his statement attacking, he, he, he sort of wrote, put a statement out um, saying, I want my documents back. The, his lawyers, that was through his, whatever, made a statement. The lawyers seem to be allowing Donald Trump to continue to believe that he owns these documents when everyone understands that he doesn't. I honestly cannot understand how we have taken it this far and how it's even a question. I can't think of any other human being in the United States who could say government documents are mine and get this far all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, Donald Trump has made a habit of winning by losing. Even if he believes he will lose this case in the Supreme Court, it's just it's still a win for him because he can use it as a grievance in his own PR campaign about how unfairly he's been treated uh, because members of the public don't understand the difference. But there's just no way by definition that documents, whether currently or previously classified, can in any way be considered his personal documents. A member of the intelligence community, one of those agencies, would have had to create and mark those documents as classified. And therefore, by definition, they do not belong to him. I'm hopeful that even Clarence Thomas and others in the court will see the law that way. Let me ask you this question. If Donald Trump is able to prevail and even get to review these classified documents to which he was not entitled or get to keep them for any length of time, doesn't that mean the Presidential Records Act is now essentially defunct, that it doesn't exist anymore as a matter of law? Yeah, these are, and it isn't just that these are government records, but they are highly sensitive government records. I know he claims to have declassified them. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. And even though that is not relevant to the statutes that the government has used to obtain uh, the search warrant in this case, it still means that these documents are like they're on fire. Nobody should be touching these documents or reading these documents unless you have a need to know. President Biden did not extend President Trump the courtesy of a security clearance because he believed he was too high of a risk for it. So the idea that you've got someone uncleared who has access to these documents, which reporting has said relate to things as secret as the nuclear capabilities of foreign nations, this man cannot be trusted to hold these things in his hand. And wait till an even smarter fascist is president of the United States. Ooh, <laughs> wait till that happens and how horrifying that could be. Barbara McQuaid, that's on me. I said that, not you. Barbara McQuaid, thank you very much. Coming up next on The Readout, today the Supreme Court heard Alabama's redistricting case, and many worry that the Voting Rights Act will face the same fate as Roe v. Wade, and you should be worried. This week's Readout Democracy Defender, former Attorney General Eric Holder, is fighting to protect it. Stay with us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The upcoming election will determine what kind of democracy we have, if we have one at all, because elections have consequences. Just look at the Supreme Court, which is turning back American democracy one ruling at a time. Today, the Republican-delivered conservative majority feasted on yet another one of their favorite targets, the drawing of congressional lines based on power not representation. At issue is the congressional map drawn in Alabama. Five weeks from now, voters in that state will vote in eight congressional districts, seven of which are majority white and Republican. Just one was set aside as a majority black district. Months ago, a three-judge federal court panel, including two Trump appointees, ruled that Alabama's map diminished the influence of black voters by concentrating their voting power into a single house district, even though the state's population is 27 percent black. That would have meant the state had to redraw their maps to include not one, but two black majority districts. But in February, the state made an emergency plea to block the lower court's ruling. Not surprisingly, the five ultra conservatives on the, in the majority, including Justices Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and Barrett, all agreed that the court should revisit this. Shockingly, Chief Justice John Roberts did not. Alabama argued that drawing a second district for black voters would itself be racially discriminatory because it would favor black voters at the expense of other voters. The three liberal justices pressed the Alabama Solicitor General on why they should upend 40 years of precedent to rule that it's basically okay to gerrymander a district against predominantly black communities. What strikes me about this case is that under our precedent, it's kind of a slam dunk. You're asking us, essentially, to cut back substantially on our 40 years of precedent and to make this, too, extremely difficult to prevail on. So what's left? On all the factors the district court looked at, it concluded that the Black Belt community, which is a community of interest, was inappropriately cracked Uh, in three or four districts. Why isn't that actionable? Can you sustain your hypothesis that under traditional redistricting principles, we can have a map that is drawn the way we ordinarily draw maps and has a majority uh, of minorities? The conservative justices were way more conciliatory and sure did sound eager to rule in Alabama's favor, finally delivering the death knell to a voting rights act, which they've methodically eviscerated in the face of what feels like insurmountable forces. But in in face of those seemingly insurmountable forces across the country, people are fighting back. Tonight, we are bringing back the democracy defenders, people, groups, community organizers, and students who are fighting against what do seem like insurmountable challenges. One of those individuals is Eric Holder, who has, who has, since he left office as attorney general of the United States, made it his mission, literally, to protect our democracy and to execute a redistricting strategy that helps rebalance power with the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. He even wrote a playbook for it on how we can save our democracy called Our Unfinished March, The Violent Past and Imperiled Future of the Vote, A History, A Crisis, A Plan, and Attorney General. 
Eric Holder joins me now. And um, Mr. Attorney General, thank you for being here. I only listened to snippets of it and followed on social media as um, folks uh, like Sherilyn Eiffel and Ellie Mistal were live tweeting uh, what was going on inside of the Supreme Court. But it was very disheartening because it felt like the liberal justices, including the new Justice Jackson, were making very coherent points that the point of the 14th Amendment was to literally protect the formerly enslaved. And it seemed like the same normal five and maybe six, they just want to kill the Voting Rights Act. Is that the way you see it? Well, it's hard to tell at this point, but I do think that Justice Kagan had it exactly right. This is a slam dunk. I mean, this is not, uh, this this should not be a difficult case to resolve. Uh, This is a classic Section 2 violation of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the crown jewel of the civil rights movement. The the political power of African-Americans in Alabama was diluted, unconstitutionally, statutorily, uh, inappropriately diluted. There should be two African-American opportunity districts in Alabama. And you cited those statistics that you said, you know, 27% of the Alabama eligible voters, only 14% when it comes down to uh, the representation. There are sufficiently numerous, a sufficient number of African-Americans who are geographically compact. It would not be hard, not be hard at all to draw two normal looking districts that would give African-Americans the opportunity to vote for the candidate of their choice. Presumably, presumably, but not not without any without any doubt, uh, presumably another African-American congressman from the state of Alabama. You know, and and obviously this was deliberately done. The former slave states very deliberately embarked on a decades-long crusade after Reconstruction collapsed to lock out their formerly enslaved population from the vote. It's very clear. I mean, Mississippi is even has even a higher black population. It's like a third African-American, but you never know it. They got the one congressman, Benny Thompson, and they've got like four members in their in their state house, just, uh, you know, five, five out of 44 are, are you know, it, it just, it, it, I don't know. It feels like it, it's locked in now because you don't have a Supreme Court that even believes in the Voting Rights Act. John Roberts, who's the mildest of the six, has been a crusader against the Voting Rights Act since he was a lawyer in the Reagan administration. Even he doesn't believe it should exist. And Clarence Thomas and Alito and the rest seem eager to kill it. Are we looking at the death of the Voting Rights Act completely? And what will that mean? Well, they certainly have, you know, hurt the Voting Rights Act in the Shelby County case where they essentially took away preclearance from the Justice Department. Section two is one of the remaining um, components that is still um, a very vital part of the act. Uh, and so that is the, certainly the fear that I have. My hope will be that they will look at precedent, look at principle, uh, and decide the case in the uh, in the appropriate way. But here's something that I think the justices on the court need to consider. We've been talking a lot over the last couple of weeks about the legitimacy of the court. Um, at, at some point, when they do things that are totally inconsistent with precedent, totally inconsistent with the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, you know, since 1965, every time it was signed back into law by a Republican president, when they do those kinds of things, it makes the American people question. Are we dealing with judges who are deciding things in a neutral way, or are they ideological in the way in which they are interpreting the law? My concern is that they're going to be ideological. Uh, My hope is that they will follow precedent, uh, follow the facts, uh, apply the law in the neutral way that they should. And if they do that, 
uh, we will end up with uh, the what the Alabama legislature tried to do uh, being held as uh, violating the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And one thing I think is really important here, you know, to the, this notion that somehow this these things should be race blind. Well, the Alabama Republican legislature did not do things in a race-blind way. They cracked the districts there in such a way that they deprived African-Americans of their full uh, electoral rights. And so people should not think that this was, you know, Republicans happened to just do this and it just happened to to show up that way. You know, they did this in a very conscious way to make sure that African-Americans did not get the representation to which they are entitled. And we know that this is not just in the South. I mean, in Ohio, uh, you know, voters are going to vote this year on a map that their own state constitution said is unconstitutional and they're still getting to vote on it. What can people do proactively with just five weeks left? What can we do? Yeah, go ahead. That's an extremely important point. I'll get to your point, but this is not a Southern thing now. Um, what we're yes. seeing in Ohio, seeing in, in Wisconsin, what we're seeing throughout the country are Republican legislatures ignoring their own Supreme Courts, doing things totally inconsistent with both their state constitutions and federal statutes. And so the fight is not only in the Old South, That's this right. is a nationwide fight. And so between now and then, I think Americans all around the country have to really get out there and vote like they have never voted before. Understand that state legislative races really matter. Yes. And it's we should not be only focused on federal who's running for president, who's running for governor, who controls these state legislatures is really, really important. And so vote up and down the ballot for candidates who will be democracy defenders. It is not Sunday, but you can get an amen on that. Vote all the way up and down that ballot. State representatives, they really, really do matter. Thank you very much. Former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, thank you. And coming up, my interview with Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman, speaking of elections. But up next, we are exactly five weeks, five weeks from the midterm elections. And early voting is actually starting real, real soon in a lot of places. And the one and only Steve Kornacki is at the big board for an update on where things stand. There he is. He's got his khakis on and he's ready to party. weeks from today, Americans will be voting in perhaps the most consequential midterm election of our lifetimes. Here to help us break down where it all stands is MSNBC national political correspondent, the Kornackster, Steve Kornacki. He's at the big board. Steve, let her rip. Well, Joy, yeah, five weeks to go. So let's take a look here. First, the big picture indicator. We always say the president's job approval rating, usually the most reliable indicator of how midterms are going to go. For Democrats, this is not good news. Joe Biden's average approval rating is 42.7 percent. Put that in perspective here with modern presidents at this exact same point in their first midterm and Biden's right at the same level that Trump Uh, that Obama, that Bill Clinton were in what were brutal midterms for them. The only exception in modern times, George W. Bush, a year after 9-11. You see what this meant for Trump. He lost the House in 18 for Obama. His party lost the House in 10 for Bill Clinton. His party lost the House in 94. Biden's approval rating is right in that range. That's the bad news for Democrats. What's made this a little bit more complicated, though, is when you look at the generic ballot, when you ask folks, Democrat or Republican, who would you like to see control Congress next year? The Republicans actually now have the lead on average on this question. It's by one point. Democrats actually were ahead until the last week or two. But if you look at the past, the most recent wave elections in midterms, 18, 14, 10, 06, these were all wave elections. And the party that won those waves was up by more than a point. 
at this juncture in the race. So the generic ballot closer than we've seen in wave elections of recent times. Biden's approval rating looks bad for Democrats. The generic ballot has them more competitive, though. That's what's causing a little bit of the uncertainty here. Take a look at the battle for control of the Senate. It's 50-50 right now. Obviously, Kamala Harris breaking the tie for Democrats. If Republicans can get a net gain of one seat, they'll get control of the Senate. So let's take a look at the Senate battleground in the polling here. Here are the Democratic-held seats that Republicans are trying to flip. You see there is one, Nevada, where Adam Laxalt, the Republican, actually leads in the poll average over the Democratic incumbent, Catherine Cortez Masto. And on the Republican-held side, there is one Republican-held seat, Pennsylvania, where the Democrat leads in the polling average. That's John Fetterman. He leads in the polling average there. If this is what it ended up looking like on election night, if the Republicans flip the Nevada seat and the Democrats flip the Pennsylvania seat, that'd be a win for Democrats. It would keep the Senate at 50-50. Remember, Republicans have to net one more flip than Democrats. That's the only way they get control of the Senate. Well, it just so happens that the race we're going to talk about literally after the break is the one that you got circled on the right-hand side for me, right-hand side for me of the screen, which is Pennsylvania. It is a fascinating field. Steve Kornacki, man, thank you very much. Always appreciate you. You got it. Cheers. All right, coming up, yes, my conversation with that very man, John Fetterman, the Democratic candidate in one of the most pivotal Senate races this November. You just saw it. Steve just told you. The interview is next. One of the most closely watched races of this midterm cycle is in Pennsylvania, where Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman is facing off against celebrity TV doctor Mehmet Oz for an open Senate seat. The race has garnered national attention for Fetterman's expert trolling, from flying a banner over the Jersey Shore saying, hey, Dr. Oz, welcome home to New Jersey, to the viral video of Oz buying crudite at a made-up grocery store. But all memes aside, this contest is believed to be the Democrats' best bet for flipping a Republican seat. And it could determine which party controls the upper chamber for the next two years, which means potentially dealing with legislation like codifying same-sex marriage and heading off Republican efforts to ban abortion nationwide and to sunset safety nets like Social Security and Medicare, just to name a few. Joining me now is Pennsylvania's Democratic nominee for Senate, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's, it's so wonderful to be here tonight. Great to be here. Okay, so let, let's just jump right into it. The, the polls sort of average show you still ahead, but the story of the race in Pennsylvania is that it is tightening between yourself and Dr. Oz. What do you attribute that to? Well, it's, it's absolutely that, that the, and everybody expected that the race would tighten uh, because they dumped over $20 million over the last five weeks. And, you know, with the lies and and that's actually tightened the, the race. But despite having Mitch McConnell's uh, tens of millions and Fox News, you know, bearing down on us more than all the other candidates uh, combined ha- allowed us to not only withstand that we're actually above ahead. And just today we had a poll came out that had us up six points. And that's a testament to the, our record and how we've been able to push back uh, on the lies and and stand on the truth. Of so, so I mean, you no one can see it now because you're wearing a sweatshirt. But I mean, you, you know, you got tats like that. Is, that's a thing a lot of people have. That is not an uncommon thing. It's not, you know, it's, this is not 1950. It's not, you know, anything strange. But what the other side has tried to do is to tie you to the thing they want to talk about this 
political season is crime. I mean, even to the point of it is a little bit laughable. I almost am embarrassed to even say it. I was trying to sort of tie you to the Crips, tie you to gang membership, tie you to crime directly. Um, what is that about? Um, and I know some of your tattoos are about your time as mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania, and your commitment to ending murder. But I don't know. How do you respond to this idea that they're, they're essentially trying to sort of thugize you? It's 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 absurd. And and it's 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 the Oz rule. You know, when he's on TV, he's lying and he lies about uh, my record on crime. But the truth is, is that uh, is that we in Braddock as mayor in a community with significant gun violence issues, I ran to be mayor for that reason. And for five and a half years, we stopped the killing and the gun violence. We stopped it. And that has never been accomplished before or since I was time as, as mayor. I run on my record. And two, in the tattoos, we're all really just uh, about uh, dates, dates. I was at, uh, at the scene of any single murder as mayor, and it was a deeply personal uh, issue. And I ran from that issue, and I was able to stop it And for five and a half years. And Dr. Oz has used uh, to lie on TV about it. Let let me ask you also about an issue that it doesn't show up in the polls because it's not clear that people would be even honest about if they were asked about it, but it's obviously your health. And you've had health challenges in the past year, obviously. Do you think that people's concerns about your health are are, are weighing into their decision whether to support you uh, for the United States Senate? Uh, absolutely. With, with, with my health is, is that, you know, my doctors, real doctors, as opposed to, to Dr. Oz, all agrees that I'm fit to, to run and serve. And Dr. Oz lies about my health again, too. Again, it's the, the Oz rule again. When he's on TV, he's going to be lying. And the, the truth is also is, is that in January, I'm going to be much better, but he'll still be a fraud. And that's that's the the real here. And he is going to use things, whether it's my health or lying about my record on on crime, because nobody wants to talk about himself because the other side realizes they can't make anybody like them. So what they're trying to do is lie and force people to not like me. Let me ask you about uh, the, the issue of abortion. The Dobbs ruling is, is weighing heavily for a lot of, uh, of women voters. Do you hear about this a lot on the campaign trail? Because there is this other storyline that all people really want to hear about is inflation, not necessarily abortion. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, abor- with abortion, uh, it, Dr. Oz is considered to be a, a joke, but it's it's not funny here in Pennsylvania and also in the nation. True. You know, Dr. Oz has celebrated when Roe v. Wade fell and he has called every abortion a, a murder. And he also believes that the choice to decide belongs with him, uh, not not with women and their doctors and his partner in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, all have an extremist view on abortion. And Dr. Oz refuses to answer the basic issue about the national abortion ban from uh, Senator Graham. And it's been 21 days where they refuse to, to, to answer it. You know, Dr. Oz liked to, to, to uh, ridicule me that I miss a couple words because of my stroke. But the two words that are missing from Dr. Oz is yes or no on the abortion ban here nationally. And he refuses to give it. And I suspect he ever will, because he understands how extreme is it. And he wants to lie and make sure people pretend that he doesn't have the exact same views as Doug Mastriano is. 
And, and my, my, my last question here, um, I guess, to you is, you were sort of sort of created sort of a natural appeal to sort of young voters and working class voters. Do you think that there will be enough turnout among those two groups of voters that will turn out for you? Because working class voters, and I mean not just white working class voters, but working class voters and general voters of color, et cetera, you're going to need that turnout in order to win this race. Will you be able to get it? And how? Absolutely. I'm proud to say that I was a four-term mayor of a community that's the 75% black community here in Western Pennsylvania. I'm also proud in my campaign. In the primary, I won all 67 counties in Pennsylvania. That's never been done before in a Democratic primary in Pennsylvania history. You know, we've reached out and run an every county, every vote uh, kind of campaign. And there are actually, in fact, there are many uh, red counties where we actually got more votes in our primary than Dr. Oz got in his own red counties. So we've run a very comprehensive campaign and I'm proud of the race that we've run and we're going to continue all to the end. Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor and uh, U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. A reminder, uh, the last day to register to vote in Pennsylvania is October 24th. The last day to apply for a mail-in or absentee ballot is November 1st. And that is tonight's readout. Make sure that you register. Make sure that you vote. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.